Welcome to the Marketing Strategy Talks podcast, where we interview some of the best marketers from around the world and uncover their strategies for rapid growth. I'm your host and founder of MarketingStrategy.com, Ian Luck. Hello, all you marketers out there. My name is Ian from MarketingStrategy.com, and this is another Marketing Strategy Talk. Today, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Josh Chopak of WGG Consulting. Full disclosure up front, Josh has been an integral partner of mine to help scale the paid marketing efforts at customergage.com. And Josh is one of the most talented growth marketers I've ever come across. He's an absolute subject matter expert on paid marketing strategy. In this marketing strategy talk, we discuss everything you'd ever wanna know about paid strategies and even more. We talk about Josh's leap from corporate employee to business owner, what type of strategies you should be employing during this COVID-19 crisis, the best paid strategies for different types of businesses, his most successful campaign of all time, and yes, even Pinterest marketing. If you've ever had any questions on how to best scale your business through paid marketing, this is the talk for you. You won't want to miss it. Don't forget to check us out on LinkedIn and Facebook. Of course, visit us at marketingstrategy.com. You'll find the most effective strategies for rapid growth for marketers by marketers. So without further ado, let's dive right into the talk. Till next time. All right, Josh Chopak, thank you so much for joining me on another Marketing Strategy Talk. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I work with Josh at my current company, Customer Gage. Um, he came on as a paid ad consultant, um, and we've seen great results. I've been super impressed with his knowledge in the space, not only across, like, for example, Google, but Facebook, LinkedIn, you name it, he knows it. So I feel like I wanted to get you on this thing kind of just have a quick conversation with you, share your knowledge. I feel like you're um, one of the better growth marketers I've seen out there. So thanks for joining up and uh, let's just dive right in. Thanks, man. I appreciate all that. It's been great work. Of course. Yeah. So you worked at a couple of companies in the past, uh, but now you have your own agency, WGG. Um, So what made you make that jump? um, And what was kind of your path to this point? Yeah. So um, I started my kind of my first real job was at um, a uh, music production company, actually, where I was running basically their marketing and sales, all of it. I'm a super uh-huh. small company, so I wore a whole bunch of hats. Um, and I was there for six years, and um, we saw a, a lot of growth. Um, and it was great. I was trying to move a little bit out of um, out of the music space and more into um, the, the Boston tech scene, so to speak. Um, so from there I'm, I went to an ad agency. So I kind of, I had self-taught on a lot of marketing stuff at that first right. job, um, wanted to sharpen some of those skills and social fulcrum where I went, which was, um, really just a Facebook, Instagram advertising agency, um, mm-hmm. did a little bit of Google and Pinterest. Um, but actually while I was there, they phased those channels out and only focused on Facebook, Instagram. Um, and so learning from them and their approach was, was really, really, um, incredible and kind of just took my knowledge to the next level. A lot of the, their philosophy and even just the platform knowledge is super transferable to other channels. So, um, once I learned from Facebook from them, and mm-hmm. when I say Facebook, it usually includes Instagram because they're the same backend, just so to kind of say that now, because I'll, I'll probably just say Facebook most of the time, um, yeah. learning Facebook from them, 
um, really um, allowed me to become an expert in pretty much every other channel. So um, that's really been great. And actually, it's interesting timing. The reason I went out on my own is because um, they, they went through some troubles coming up on two years ago, and I was laid off. So I could go on a whole thing about, you know, um, I know there's a lot of people that are in that position right now. Um, and so I've got a lot of empathy for that because um, it's, it's a tough spot to be in. Yeah. Fortunately, um, kept a really great relationship with them. Um, and, and they actually helped me really get my start when I decided to uh, start my own thing. Um, I actually, when I was laid off, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I, I knew I wanted to stay in marketing, but not exactly what. And, and just after a lot of reading and reflection, I realized starting my own thing was the way I wanted, I wanted to go. Um, and Social Fulcrum actually became a client of mine for over oh, a year after that. That's um, great. And, and I still get, I would say, most of my leads from them. So wow. certainly a lesson in not burning bridges and, you know, all, all that. Um, so that, that transition has been, you know, pretty much the difference maker in, in my career. That's really interesting. So uh, just to touch on the, the being laid off thing, I've also been laid off in my career. And it's, it's interesting, like, it is definitely one of those turning points, at least for me as well, where I was like, all right, what's important to me? What do I like doing? And that's a really interesting thing to talk about right now, because I, I can't tell you, not to bring it up right off the bat, but um, LinkedIn's kind of rough out there right now for SaaS. Uh, there's a lot of people getting laid off. Uh, yep. I think a lot of people are confused. Um, but your story is a really good one where literally assessing what's important to you, what do you want to do and kind of forging your own path. And that's so important right now. I think there's going to be a lot yep. of innovation that comes out of this kind of this bubble that we're in through COVID-19 where people are going through exactly what you went through and kind of realizing what they want to do with their lives and, and kind of setting on on their own. So, and I, and I think you've been successful. You've done some great work for us, like I mentioned before. Um, so let's just walk through that. So being a business owner, like what do you like most about owning your agency? Um, I think it's a bit cliche, but the freedom is a, is a big part yeah. of it. And I don't just mean freedom of schedule, but um, actually most important to me is the, the freedom to do things my own way. Um, I really like to invest in the relationships that I have with my clients mm -hmm. and with people in my network and all that. And to really develop a genuine, close, trusting relationship with a client or really with anybody, um, you need to be yourself. You need to be candid. You need to be super honest. Um, that doesn't mean rude. It just means, you know, honest yeah. um, and frank. And I didn't necessarily feel that freedom when I was working at an agency. And I don't think that's any fault of social fulcrum. I think that's just the agency model that sure. um, there's kind of a way things are done. And yeah. um, I sort of had to do things that way. Whereas now that I do things my way, like it's, it can change daily. You know, my, the, the way that we do things changes all the time. Um, and I really, mm. I think that has been a difference maker in a lot of campaigns that there is no one way that things are done, that it really can, things can be done case by case. I don't need any scalable models or solutions. Um, and I really, I really enjoy that and think it has been the difference maker in both um, the success of my company and the success of the relationships that I've had with clients and why, why a lot of my relationships have been successful. All right. I'm going to throw you one more compliment and I swear I'm going to stop. I, I think uh, you're, uh, 
your communication style is very good. Um, so I've worked with a lot of different vendors in the past. Uh, I think you, you nailed it. You're always honest. You're always transparent. You'll tell me when I, it's a good idea. You'll tell me when it's a bad idea based off of past experience, not necessarily just, you know, cause you disagree with it. It's more, you always approach it from like a data standpoint, you're transparent about pretty much everything. So I, I do have to commend you on that. That is something that is important when working with vendors. That's actually, I've lost vendors. I've stopped working with them because of that exact reason. Um, yeah. So, and I totally get why maybe at social forum you couldn't do that uh, because you kind of have to answer to the dollar, right? And it's always yeah. about that. Not to say that you don't do that in your current uh, agency that you own, but you have that ability to kind of do it the right way. Uh, and, you know, I think people do value that. So that's, that's really good to hear. Yeah, thank you. Well, I, I appreciate you recognizing that. And honestly, I, I would just say that it's, it's also advice. Like, you don't have to do that thing that feels like you're selling to the client um, yeah. all the time because yeah. um, that, that might get you a win in the short term, but it's, it's going to be a loss in the long term. So yeah. if there's just kind of, you know, one takeaway from this part of the conversation, it's that um, it's actually in your best interest to be really transparent. Yeah. Um, my business comes from referrals and um, investing in <laughs> being honest right now is going to, is going to be a, a better relationship and increase the likelihood of referrals. So yeah. it really, it, it does come down to the dollar, but I think it's a different interpretation of, of um, I guess that order of operations than a lot of people see it. So um, I think, I think everyone can and should be that level of honest. I just think it can be sometimes scary in the moment when, you know, the best thing to do is not have ads on for a month or, you know, something like that. Um, yep. It can be a tough recommendation, but um, the, the, it'll, it'll be good for you in the long run. Yeah. And I, I want to cover that. So like those scenarios and we can do it later in the talk, but I, I'm based off of our previous conversations, you have some clients that are going through some shit right now. Uh, oh, to yeah. put it very frankly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think uh, I would be really curious to kind of see it. It sounds like you kind of run the gamut of different industries. So like, what are the yep. strategies for client X versus client Y? Um, that's really interesting stuff I want to dive into. But before I do that, so give me one thing that you could probably live without uh, by owning your own agency. Like what's one thing that you wish, you know, you just didn't have to deal with? Well, with freedom comes uncertainty. You know, it's, it's the risk, the uncertainty, mm -hmm. um, the fact that, um, I, I can't really control my pipeline. Um, you know, I, if, if clients fire me, like I'm, I'm the guy paying me. So, yeah. um, if I, if I don't have any more clients, then, then that's tough. And, uh, you know, business just naturally goes like this, even, even, you know, people say it, it goes up like that. Um, but there I've had some downs for sure. Um, and I'd be lying if I said, you know, this, this is a tough time for everyone. Um, you know, I've, uh, end of February business was, was looking like it was, it business was good end of February and it was looking like it was about to be really great. Um, yep. pipeline was looking good. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, when you look at the pipeline and you're like, yep, like yeah. projections for Q2 are awesome. Right. Um, and then of course this hits and, and nobody wants to sign a contract. So, yep. um, that can be really, really tough. Um, and, uh, I, I could do without that. I think the one thing that gets me through that is the fact that I got laid off, you know, like kind of, I, I look at my uncertainty now and I'm like, I didn't have certainty when I had a full-time job either. So yeah. really what's, yeah. what's the difference. Um, but I, I could still do without it. Yeah. I think that's, that's been felt 
by everybody uh, is yeah. not that that's reassuring, but I think it's across the board. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's been tough for almost every company I've spoken to. Uh, and it's yeah. just, yeah, you know, it's the uncertainty. Exactly what you said is like, when is this going to stop? When are things going to go back to normal? What happens yeah. to the budgets in 2020? Like what is going on? <laughs> There's a yeah. lot of uncertainty and people, if they don't understand something, they start to fear it. Right. So uh, it is it is a very, very interesting time to live in. Um, I was talking to my parents uh, a lot lately, um, and they've never lived through anything like this. And so yeah. it's it's literally brand new for everybody on this earth, yeah. uh, for the most part, outside of a couple very older ladies and gentlemen. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's interesting, man. I, I think let's dive into kind of how your clients are reacting. So like, give me an example of a client that you've basically, like you said, you had a great plan in place that are producing. Um, what industries are being most affected right now and which ones are pretty much staying the course? Yeah, so I think I have, I can probably hit all three buckets, worse than normal, better yeah. than normal-ish, um, and just totally business as, as usual. Um, so I think for the, I mean, hardest hit, this is not going to be a surprise to anybody, no. but I've got two, two clients that are in the travel space. And right. so they, they went from ads on going well to ads off in survival mode. Um, right. one of them like might not even make it through, you know, they might just need to sh shut down entirely, which is really difficult. Um, mm. and another one is. Um, they're going to make it through. They're an older company with, with just more, more history and, and more of a cushion in the bank, but um, they're also, they've gone down to, to zero in revenue. So um, they've been hit pretty hard. Um, I've got, um, I've got a couple clients that are in the um, keto space, um, snack foods and supplements. Right, right. They're generally doing at least as good as normal, um, arguably better than normal. It's, the numbers are unclear. I mean, I don't have anybody that's doing like way better than normal. Of course. I have yeah. heard, heard some stories um, of other like, um, especially packaged food companies doing like really way better than normal. Junk um, so, food, so we're, right? Yeah. <laughs> drunk, drunk, and um, uh, not to give away any secrets, um, but there is a, um, let's say a meat delivery company that is, that is doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, I imagine. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's that, that kind of thing. I think those companies are having some of their best days ever. Yep. Um, so yeah, packaged food. Um, and then not quite business as usual, but I, I would actually say um, customer gauge, you know, and, and SaaS clients in general tend to be doing um, pretty solidly. You know, we're seeing just a, a, in generally uh, across SaaS clients, CPLs staying um, roughly the same, a little bit higher, but um, mm. you know, people are still looking for content, downloading content. I think it's a good time for that. I yeah. do think, you know, sales are less likely to close right now because nobody wants to spend lots of money, but at mm -hmm. least from a, um, from a first touch acquisition standpoint, um, it, things seem generally unaffected, which is, which is really good. And part of that is because um, CPMs are, are generally down because there's more people on the platforms and fewer advertisers. So Hmm. Um, that is, that means costs are, are generally down right now, but also conversion rates are down. So it's not, that doesn't equal a better time to advertise. It's just kind of, you know, the nature of what's happening. Interesting. Yeah. And I think, um, when do you think that's going to recover? Do you have any sense for that? 
I, it's a loaded question, but yeah, it's a loaded question. And of course, I'll, the disclaimer is of course not, you know, who nobody knows, knows anything, yeah. nobody yeah. knows. But right. my best, my best guess is that people will need to start buying stuff again. I think right now there's an initial period of panic and freeze where um, nobody wants to spend money. Um, nobody wants to go out. Um, and, and those kinds of things. And even if we kind of stay in quarantine mode, I do think at least from an e-commerce standpoint, like people are going to start needing stuff again. And it's yeah. just, if, if this does, even if this becomes the new normal where we're in quarantine indefinitely, that actually could theoretically be very good for e-commerce because um, people are, are still going to need things. Yep. And I think even from a staff standpoint, you know, we're going to see a big shift in, who has cash and who doesn't have cash, you know, so it's a tough time. A lot of companies aren't going to make it through, but I think the ones that aren't hit too hard, they're going to, they're also going to need to keep going and they're going to need to invest in their own business and, um, you know, certain solutions like uh, retention analytics, for instance, you know, that's more important now than ever. So for the companies that do decide, okay, we, like we're in a good enough spot, we're going to make it through this thing that's the time to double down. And so I think after this initial period wears off, which I, I don't think will be more than a month or so, then there's going to be, I think, a return to at least, um, you know, some of these sales and purchases happening, whether it's B2B uh, or, or B2C. Um, but of course, yeah. who knows? I think um, I, I, this keeps me up at night, to be honest. Yeah. So um, me too. In a, probably a different way than most. I, I feel like this is one of the, uh, and, I, and I hate to use this word because it's, it's really not the right word, but I feel like there's, there's an opportunity to market right. uh, if you yeah. do it properly in this time frame because there are so many players off on the sideline. Um, yeah. For example, the retention analytics company, hypothetically, right? Um, I think that you could if you had the ability to pull in budget from 2021 and use it in the next three months, I mean, historically the brands that invest in their own brand and advertise during tough times come out stronger on the back end of it. And I think yep. that's proven time and time and again. And I think the initial reaction for a lot of companies uh, across the board is to cut marketing budgets right away, which I'm sure yep. you've seen, I've seen uh, at other companies as well. I just think that if you have the right message during something like this, you should actually double down and go the opposite way. Uh, yep. If you do it tastefully, if you do it with empathy, I think there is there is an opportunity to do it um, in a time like this, which again is not easy, but um, the companies that are big brands now that are household names did exactly this a hundred years ago. Yeah. And yeah, and not even, I mean, even for some more recent examples, um, I'm not sure if you ever read um, Thank You for Being Late, Thomas Friedman, um, mm -hmm. New York Times writer. Um, he wrote, this, this book is I don't know, probably five, six years old. And he wrote, he had a whole central piece of his argument that 2007 was like the year that, that changed everything. Yeah. Um, and he goes through all these examples of things that happened in 2007. Um, and among them are, that's when the iPhone came out. That's when Facebook started. That's when Airbnb right. started. Right. And then you've got the financial crisis hits a year later. 
um, and look at where all of those three companies now, if you include Apple as, as the iPhone, because that, sure. that really has been their, their major success story. That's their coming out story, um, yeah, exactly. That's their coming out story, yeah. And so they, um, now Apple was in a great position before the iPhone. Of course. So, you know, yeah. They were always going to weather uh, a storm. But I think you look at those as, as to, to support what you just said, that they doubled down in a time of crisis and came out extremely strong um, and yeah. now are, are definitely household names if they weren't already. Um, mm. And all of that happened, like their early days, their make or break days were in the midst of a financial crisis. And, you know, they just navigated it in the right way that now they are um, indisputably, you know, behemoths. Airbnb on a little bit shakier territory right now, but, but sure. Apple and Facebook certainly. So let's explore that, man. So I think people don't know what to do right now. So let's clarify it, right? Let's give them, let's give them yeah. the answers. So yeah. give, me, give me what you would do if you're an e-commerce company right now. Let's call it, you know, you have a good amount of sales coming in. You're not necessarily hurting for revenue, maybe a little bit of a dip, but you want to grow and you want to grow quickly. Um, what would you do? Like what channels would you go after? What would be the strategy there? Yeah, I do think it's an important time in terms of ad spend. It's an important time to um, at least be breaking even on on your ad spend, if not right. um, straight, sticking to ROAS goals. I think that's it's perfectly logical to be conservative right now. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean turn off, but if you've got a successful campaign, keep it on. You know, if it's if it's driving purchases. Also, a lot of my ecom clients. Um, both now and historically have had a, a big retail presence as well, which right, right now, if, if you've had retail go from a hundred to zero, then you need that e-commerce to, to perform more than ever. If you're yeah. in that position, if you've lost retail income that you depend on, then breaking even on e-com actually makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. If you are strictly e-com, then just focusing on profitability rather than breaking even actually, I think that could make more sense. Um, for those types of companies. So I would do that. I also think it's a great time just to return to fundamentals that in normal times might just be too hectic, too low on the priority list. So um, even outside of paid ads, you know, what's, your, what's your email strategy? How's that yeah. looking? You know, are, are you maximizing your retention uh, yeah. opportunities? Um, is, how's your site? You know, is, do you have uh, as good of a site as possible, as good of a brand as possible? Those are things that take time, take energy, and often are seen as taking away from other key priorities. Right now, if those key priorities are not happening, this is your opportunity to revamp some of your fundamentals. Um, I think like things like having an amazing site and amazing brand are so often so mushy gushy that, you know, people are hesitant to invest in those, but those are often what make or break um, e-com yeah. success, especially in, in paid ads. It's really interesting you say that because uh, again, my day job is, is a VP of marketing at a customer gauge, a B2B SaaS company, right? So I found myself doing the same thing, looking inward, basically saying, all right, like what can we do with what we have now? Can we create yeah. more content? Can we optimize the website? I'm kicking myself for not being, having enough foresight to basically say, all right, six months ago, we should have been spending more time on this so we can actually reap the rewards now when everybody's online. Because yeah. right. there's a little bit of a lag on that, right? So maybe not necessarily the website, but like organic uh, type of content. Um, yeah. So I, I learned a lesson, man. Like always have a good mix, which to be fair, I was focusing on things that produce a high ROI, but 
you yeah. know, that I've learned that that can shift very quickly. Uh, yeah. And yeah. that was, that was a hard lesson to learn, but I mean, we're still in good shape, but at the same time, I, I am kicking myself for not taking it more seriously six months ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. I think, yeah. um, you know, from what I know of, of your approach, it, it was, it was logical and made a lot of sense. And of course, I mean, no one saw this coming. So right. um, I don't think you necessarily should have, uh, you know, it, it, I don't think you're guilty of, of doing anything wrong, but I, I, I see and agree with your point that, yeah, there's opportunity when you diversify a little bit. And in terms of that specific example, content generation and content strategy, um, a paid strategy is always going to benefit from a good content strategy. So they're also not mutually exclusive um, by at least having a baseline investment in, in multiple channels and strategies. Um, it's, you know, rising tide uh, raises all ships. I, I think yeah. that cliche maxim applies here because um, certainly in that example, content is generally going to benefit SEO and paid. Of course. Yeah. And I completely agree. And I, and I, yeah. What would you do for a B2B company, for example, like a B2B SaaS company? It doesn't have to be customer engaged, but I think what I was trying to say is like, you need a, a nice balanced mix. So I wouldn't necessarily go all in on one side on like organic versus paid. It's more like mm. you need to kind of maintain that mix very effectively throughout your, your strategy uh, throughout the year. So you can plan for things like this when they kind of shift, you have things in place that um, you can kind of rely on. Not to say that we didn't, but it's more just maintaining the balance, I think, is more important uh, moving forward. So what would you recommend for like a B2B SaaS company? Uh, is this right now or generally? Yeah, right now. So I think it is a great time to invest in content. Um, kind of like I was just saying, content will help your paid strategy. You know, the, especially with B2B, where mm -hmm. we're usually running uh, lead gen campaigns that um, are, are centered around content offerings, you know, right. um, download, give us your email, download this valuable piece of content. And then, you know, we've got you in our system and we can continue to communicate and, and nurture to a sale. So um, invest in that stuff because that same content is great for SEO. And at a, even if you shut ad spend off just by mm. having that content out there in the ether is going to be good for your company. Um, and it's also really important to test different offers in your paid strategy. So um, by investing in that content creation, you can, you can double dip and, and put that at the center of your paid strategy. Um, and, you know, what, whatever it is, whatever the, the product is, five ways to increase retention. Um, you know, I think listicles tend to work really well. They can't be mm -hmm. too cheesy. Um, they need to, and they need to be genuinely valuable, but it, those like little bullet point nugget type of, of knowledge offerings, I think are really, really effective. So just think what, what are those, you know, who, who is our customer? What does that person want to know? And what is some free knowledge that we can just give them that might seem like it's giving away our secrets, but mm -hmm. in reality, the way people respond to getting secrets is, Oh, this company probably has a lot more where that came from. Like no one sees it. You might feel like you just gave away your best secret, but no one sees it that way. They see it as, oh, I just got a really valuable piece of information. This company is an expert. I want to know more from them and I want to keep in touch with them. Right. And if you give them a few more of those, then they're like, okay, this is legit. This is where I want to invest my money. Yeah. And the listicle thing, like, yeah drives me nuts but why do you think that still works like I, I thought that would maybe yeah 
well, two things. One, it's digestible. So yeah. that it's just, it, you know, if you're scrolling through, you know, if you say a bunch of ways, you know, you, pe- people want tangible, people want to have their expectations managed and go. they want to see a headline and know exactly what they're getting into. Okay. When I read this, I'm going to be three things smarter than I am right now. Boom. Yeah. What you don't want to do, you don't want to do like that phase we went through 10 years ago or whenever it was, when it was just all these clickbaity BuzzFeed type uh, headlines. <laughs> I'm yeah. not at all suggesting that because that, you don't want to get into clickbait. Like that, that is low value. It has to be things that are genuinely valuable information. Um, you know, if you just say 11 pictures of cute dogs, like, you know, or I thought I was signing up for, a bad retention software. What happened next amazed me. Like that's awful. Don't do anything like that. Um, again, it has to be genuinely valuable. You need to. It, it's and it's it's a trade. You are trading content for someone's information. Yep. That the person giving their information needs to feel like it was a fair trade. So you need to give up genuine value to them, and they need to feel like that was a fair exchange. If you do that then they're going to view you in a positive light and come back for more. And you're going to increase the likelihood of closing the sale at the end. It was, I mean, it's really interesting. Like you said, 10 years ago, it was kind of like the wild, wild west of paid uh, strategy yeah. where I, I literally worked for a company um, that did exactly that. It was like, give me the most clickbaity title or headline yeah. you can find. Give me the most clickbaity image you can find, not related to yeah. the headline. And then they would drop them on a landing page and try to get them to sign up for a trial. And I, I just, after a while, I just couldn't do it. That was actually the job I got yeah. laid off at, by the way, because they, oh, they yeah. fell on hard times. <laughs> right. Yeah. Shocking. It makes sense. Uh, but. And there was a time where that was fashionable, where companies yeah. were finding success doing that and users were not exhausted from it yet. Right. So it, it was effective for a time. Um, I would have done the exact same thing, mm. but times have changed now. I think people are much more, um, covetous of their of their information and their time and you don't fall for those things very easily because it was everywhere for so long so now the stakes are higher the bar is higher and um, you gotta just there has to be actual value and it can never appear like you're trying to trick anybody into clicking on a link they need to know what they're getting into and and you need to deliver on that promise and I feel like um, there's something along the lines of if I remember this correctly that it's skewed towards a older generation that type of like clickbaity article image thing. Um, if I remember our analytics properly, it was like 40 or 50 year olds, uh, like white males was like our best audience because they, yeah. it's like my dad, right? Like they didn't grow up with the internet. They don't know that much yep. about ads and things like that. It was kind of, um, it worked. <laughs> I think yeah, just I gener- think- generations coming up are smarter now. They, they kind of know. Yeah, that's definitely true. And those, I, I think also just, there's a, there's a fashion, a fashion element to it. I think that yeah. style has just gone out of fashion. I yeah. do think in its heyday, I mean, that's really how Buzzfeed started was sure. that kind of content. And, yeah. and, you know, they're, I would argue that they're doing very well. There are lots of counter arguments, certainly financially, they've, they've gone through some tough times, but um, they, they are everywhere, whether we like it or not. And mm. that's, that's where they started. And at, in their heyday and in that early time, I mean, they, they were finding success with that strategy with a really young audience. Um, that audience is now, you know, our age, but mm. um, at, at the time, I, I do think that was working, you know, p- just college students and, you know, mo- and 
yeah, millennials and twenty somethings just just scrolling through, mm. um, seeing that clickbaity stuff. And if if that's what people are going to click on stuff when they're scrolling through the internet, and if everything is like that, yeah. then it's going to get clicked on. Yeah. So. I don't know. That's just how it, that's just how it I, was. I think. I think also that was when the shift happened to basically like editors were getting paid by how many clicks they were driving. Right. It's yeah. crazy. But anyways, that was a crazy time for sure. So let's, let's go back to fundamentals, right? So let's forget the clickbait. Let's talk about fundamentals. So like audience creative yep. offer, what do you have any kind of tips or elements? What's like an element of a high performing campaign based off of those three uh, pieces, the audience creative and offer. Um, can you give me, general guidance on that or is it pretty much so specific to the client in the industry yeah i can i'm gonna break the rule for a second and actually answer with not one of those three but then i will answer the question i promise Perfect. um i would say like two fundamentals that are really important that i just don't want to get lost in this conversation are um your on-site experience and um and retention just making sure that you are um, maximizing lifetime value. So sure. we can dig into what those are. Um, but I just like, when I think of fundamentals, those are very much part of the picture mm. and have a big impact on paid, even if they, even if that, that relationship isn't always super direct or obvious, it's extremely, extremely important. Mm. So I will say the, the most important of those three audience creative and offer definitely creative and creative is like one, two, three, and then it's the other two. Um, <laughs> now I'm, I'm talking specifically about these channels. There are certainly a lot of situations where um, audience is most important or creative is most important. But I think if we're looking at paid ads, uh, your creative strategy is your, is make or break. And it, mm. a lot of it gets back to, to value and trust. Sure. So people need to see your ad and think, you know, there's, there's so much BS out there. There's a lot of scammy companies and, you know, people just trying to make a buck. People can generally see through that and, you know, people buy with their emotions mm. and your creative strategy, your, your ad creative, your on-site creative, like everything that is visual um, needs to resonate in a way that is often intangible um, and it's one of the reasons that I think what is working right now and really across clients is uh, employee generated videos, uh, employee generated content or EGC as I call it. Um, okay. It's these, these handheld selfie videos um, of someone saying, hey, this is Josh from WGG Consulting. Um, we, um, we do digital marketing and we've been doing it for a, whole, a long time and, and it's going really well. That's not really that great, but it's that kind of concept. Yeah, right. Um, makes sense. That, yeah. Um, or I started this company because, you know, that kind of thing um, works really well. And I think the reason it works really well is because it is genuine. It's authentic. It, it has that human connection. Um, you're able to, like, in, it, it's just a video, but you're, you're basically looking that person in the eye and seeing that this is a real person who started mm -hmm. a company because they wanted to provide value to other people for a real genuine reason. And that human connection, I think, is, is what people are looking for because they want to be able to trust the, wherever they're putting their money. They want to they trust the company. Um, and I think that type of creative achieves that. Um, even if you're not doing that, that's where, that's what good branding is. Um, and 
that that element like i'm not a a branding expert i know bad branding when i see it i know good branding when i see it i'm not a designer so i can't necessarily take it from bad to good but i do know that when you have good branding you're you're achieving a level of trust that you can't achieve with poor branding and poor design so mm. that's why anything that is visual anytime someone interacts with your brand it needs to look trustworthy and then the following fundamental to that is you need to be trustworthy. You need to deliver on your promises. You need to provide real value. Um, and that's how you also start to tap into word of mouth marketing and, and retention, LTV. Um, that, that stuff is all, all an upward spiral. It helps your SEO. It helps your paid. Mm. It helps your mm -hmm. bottom line. It's, it's, it's all that. Audience is important, but it's, the reason I just don't rate it that high is because I think it's, it's often simple. Creative requires a lot of time and energy and resources. Right. Um, audience usually doesn't. It, it's important, but you could go into a room, do a, a quick brainstorm session, um, and that's you're well on your way. On Facebook, you've got lookalike audiences. On Google, you're going after keywords, um, or or if it's Google Shopping, you're you know you're going after your people looking for your for things related to your product catalog, um, and so it's. It's not that the audience there isn't important. It's just that a lot of that you can do, you can usually get away with the most obvious audience strategy and have that be fairly successful for you. Um, and after, after you go after the most obvious, you often reach diminishing returns. Most of these platforms, especially Google and Facebook, have invested so much in their AI that um, going broad and letting the algorithms do, their, do the work for you is often the best strategy. So trying to micromanage the audience strategy may have worked four or five years ago, and that really was the best thing, even even two, three years ago. But now it's not the move, um, and you can kind of just go with, with the most obvious audience strategy. Um, and then so, the – yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, so it's almost like the audience is the science and the creative is like the art. I, I, I definitely think that especially when you're starting out, you know, creative is an art at first, and then you should be learning and testing and sure. iterating. Um, but you need to, you need to, I, I'm a big believer in, in going with gut feelings and, and best guesses. So you got to yeah. start somewhere. Um, right. And you, you want to put your best foot forward to start out with and then test a bunch of different creative concepts and, and go with, you know, iterate on what seems like the winner. Yeah, it makes sense. Very cool. And what about the offer? So the offer, a lot of it, you know, comes, comes down to value. I think um, depending on the sector that we're talking about, say, let's take e-com for example. Sure. Um, you know, people love discounts. Discounts are not necessary. I, I'm, I'm actually pretty neutral on discounts. I've seen them um, increase conversions and I've also seen them not move the needle at all. And in some cases, some cases discounts can, can hurt conversions, right? Hmm. Um, the situation where a discount would hurt a conversion rate is, again, it comes down to trust. If I have a, if I have an ad that feels like it's yelling at me to like act now and get a discount, I feel like I'm being hustled. I feel like, <laughs> what am I missing? What's the loophole? This, this company doesn't seem trustworthy if they need my money that bad. Right. Um, and if they're not focusing on the value that I get out of that purchase. Um, so that's, you know, I've, I've seen some campaigns or, and, I, and I've, I've, taken on some clients where like on day one that that's the ads that are live it's it's a lot of all caps and bundle and save and do this and do that and very just conversions focused and and like if i pay you then i'll save money but 
why would I pay you in the first place? That's really the question. Um, so don't fall into that trap of just offering, mm -hmm. just focusing on discounts. A discount is right. not a product. A discount right. is a nice added benefit, a nice reason to buy now if I have other reasons to buy. And that's why you got to make sure you are focusing on that emotional connection. So with those, like those EGC videos I was talking about, right. you, can, you can get in there and say, hey, this is Josh from WGG Consulting. Um, I started this company to help companies uh, achieve profitability through advertising. Um, right now, I'm doing 50% off your first month with me um, if you use the code WGG50. Um, check it out. Let me know what you think. You know, something like that. Um, that can work really well because it's coming from a real person. Um, it, it, I, hopefully, I come across as though I'm not trying to scam you. Um, and so that can actually do really well. Also, with e-com, like Black Friday, hell yeah, do yeah. a discount. Discount you know, all day long. Friends. Yeah, right. Um, and actually, that brings up a, another related point. Uh, I've seen some brands try to create holidays or do big promotions on holidays nobody cares about. That usually backfires, you know. We're doing... We're doing a big sale for Lincoln's birthday. It's, we're super excited about it. Do use the code Lincoln 75 for 75% off. People are just right. like, what is this happening? I've seen, I had a client do like Christmas in July yeah. you know, and, and, and do a, a discount for that. And that, that goes back to kind of what I was saying originally. It, it just, um, people I think read that as scammy. They, you should have a genuine reason for doing a discount. You need to, I think it's good to be consistent with the norm Memorial Day, Labor Day, Black Friday, Christmas, that's pretty much all you need for like big uh, holiday focused uh, sales. Beyond that, never invent a holiday. That's great advice. So it really, I mean, it sounds like authenticity is a big piece of it, right? Trustworthiness, authenticity, oh, yeah. that, that really should be in the back of your mind when you're putting together an offer, whether it's creative, it doesn't matter. Like you really have to lead with trustworthiness and authenticity and yeah doing it the right way so people feel like they're not being sold right yeah or and, and not being tricked and not being tricked exactly yeah yeah that's really interesting so back to egc or employee generated content do you feel like that is outperforming a lot of other creative out there right now yes yes generally generally across clients you know it it's not like every egc will outperform sure. every other type of ad you know there's definitely exceptions but um, I would say generally the most effective ads that I'm seeing are EGC ads. Um, in the case of e-commerce, it's still, you, you need to have dynamic retargeting, which is not EGC. So that's right. like, that's, that's a, a, a must. Um, right. And same with, with Google shopping, but EGC prospecting videos and static retargeting videos are extremely, extremely effective for, for the reasons I've, I've said. Um, and it's good. It's good to have, a few different types of creatives live. I, I, I think I really only have probably one client that is like all EGC all the time. Pretty much everyone else benefits from a few different types of things where the EGC is like probably our most successful ad, but other types are also successful and, and add to scale and efficiency. So okay. you, I, I'm not even, I'm not recommending that you go all in and only have EGC. I just think it's a really good, uh, way to good thing to test and good, good way to supplement your, your current creative strategy. And yeah. I think if it's well done and under 15 seconds, there you go. Um, That's what I was gonna then, ask next. <laughs> yeah, then, um, then it's, it's probably going to find a, a, a successful stronghold in your campaign. 
Yeah, and I could totally see how, like your example, Josh from WGG uh, Consulting, um, you know, I started this company, that's a great line, because I, I think, I really believe that that old adage of like people buy, they don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it type of deal. Yeah. Like, why are you doing it? Why is it important to you? Why do you think you can help people? I think that's, that's so powerful. And that yeah. was powerful 100 years ago. And it's still powerful today, which is really cool that these advertising mediums can change. But there are some universal truths out there that authenticity, and kind of like the mission is always going to be important uh, in, in advertising yeah. and marketing, which is honestly reassuring because like, I, I'm a big fan of like old school marketing books. And that was always kind of like a big piece of those like the Ogilvy's of the world um, yeah so yeah it's interesting that some things change but some things do stay the same which is again kind of kind of nice so are there any universal truths for you across all your clients that you can say this one thing stays the same across no matter who I talk to performance will fluctuate within normal distribution so if you've got a 12-month period of that is generally that is on the whole seen as very successful chances are you're going to have at least one incredible month and one terrible month okay. or good and bad you know there's not necessarily a reason behind those that that or at least not an actionable reason right that is the nature of random distribution not to right. say that you don't have any control over the day-to-day -day. you can always be optimizing and, and that's part of the job right um but performance fluctuates and and on a similar note, um, most platforms take time to ramp up. I would say pretty much every successful relationship I've been a part of started out pretty bad from a performance standpoint. Yeah. Um, just know that that's going to happen. Like that's not, that shouldn't be a surprise. It should be budgeted for, it should be expected. Um, and it's just, you, it's, it's learning by process of elimination, right? You're learning what doesn't work. The algorithm is learning what doesn't work on most platforms. You're collecting data and you're learning. So um, be prepared for that because it really, that has been a very universal truth. I, if, I, if I got fired every time a client panicked early in a relationship, I, I wouldn't have a business um, because it, it's like clockwork. And I've, I, early on, it, it stressed me out. The client's stressed, so I'm stressed. But I've, I've realized through doing it dozens of times that it's, it really is it's just how it goes. And so yeah. um, since I've been there many times, I'm able to say, we're good. I know the numbers look terrible. I know you've got to report to people at your company and they're on your back about why these numbers are so bad. Um, hashtag stay trust the, the process. Yeah. yeah. Stay yeah. the course. This is how it goes. Um, and it often, you know, I, I have a three month minimum when I work with clients and this is really the main reason why is because those first two months, can look really bad, but they're not useless. Bad is not useless. Bad, bad performance is good as long as you're learning from it. And um, we are definitely in early in those relationships, we are learning from that bad performance. And I, I'm not going to lie, it, we don't always recover. You know, there are, there are I definitely have had clients where we just never hit our targets. That happens. Yeah. Um, but even the ones that do hit targets tend to not in that first phase. And you were really good about this with us where you were like, all right, first two to three months will be rough. You were very upfront about it. You tried to prepare me for it. And um, I don't want to call it panic, but yeah, there was a point where I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. So, cause I, I mean, yeah. money's money, right? Money's out. Yep. And you should be seeing something come in. 
uh, even though you, like you said, like I said, you've prepared us for it. Um, CFOs do not tend to like to see that type of activity, you. right? Yep, um, totally. So, so I think the three month minimum is a very important piece to, to point out for other agencies that especially when you're onboarding a new client, you need to give it three months to, like you said, stay the course and trust the process and learn. Because they're, like you said, bad is not always all bad. You're learning, you're trying to optimize, you're trying to get to that next step of, all right, we're flipping the switch. Because it did happen for us, very, yep. uh, very much so. We flipped the switch, it went from bad to great and then to amazing. Um, so there are, it's not all bad. You're learning, you're optimizing, and it will eventually right. turn, turn the tide. Um, so let's go from that kind of like the bad kind of optimization area to the opposite end of that. Like what is the most successful campaign you've ever been a part of? Yeah. So I would say there's a whole bunch of, there's a whole bunch that are tied for first. I'll talk about a specific story, okay. um, which is just a, a fun one to talk about. Um, and as a, uh, as a current client of mine that is, is, is doing very well, even amid the pandemic, uh, spoiler alert. Um, yeah. <laughs> I won't, I won't, I won't name the company just for NDA reasons. Yep, um, yeah. um, they brought me on June 1st of last year. Okay. And that's also a good segue because it's, it's, it's a textbook example of, of what we were just talking about. They brought okay. me on June 1st of last year, three months minimum. Um, by early July, they wanted to fire me. The performance was terrible. Um, the, the trend lines were going in the wrong direction. They were panicking. Um, even I was panicking a little bit, you know, we all wanted it to work. It wasn't working. Um, and we were on the verge of, of negotiating cancellation terms. And I said, listen, just trust me. This is the process. What do we need to do? Um, they, and, and when I started, I think the ROAS was about 0 0.6, 0 0.7, their target was uh, a 2.0. So they said, we have to hit uh, a ROAS of 2.0 by the last week of August. And we were, at that point, like I said, trend line went, went down and we were probably at like a, a 0 0.3, a 0 0.4 at this point and where the conversation was. Um, and so I said, okay. Um, and so just you know, we had our test plan. I said, we're going to, we're going to do these, we're going to test the landing pages. We're going to do our creative strategy. This is when right. they, they were doing no EGC. And I said, we're going to do EGC. I want to test this right now. Um, and we started testing it and it was mostly the creative stuff and a little bit of landing page optimization. Um, and right on time, the last week of August, we hit a row as of 2.0. So and for ROAS, for people that don't know, it's return on ad spend? Yeah, return on ad spend, yeah. Okay. Um, and, and that was their, their target based on their margins. And so by the last, on the last week of August, we hit it. And um, fast forward to now, it is, it's April, you know, mid-April. And there has only been one week since where we have not hit that target and it wow. was the first big week of, of the outbreak when the NDA was canceled. And I think everybody was just extra freaked out and nobody was buying anything. But until, right. until a month ago, we hit it every consecutive week. Wow. Um, and uh, it was mostly through, I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm grateful that they put their trust in me in, in that time where they were definitely panicked yeah. um, and, and you know, on the verge of, of trying to get out of the contract. Um, 
but they instead decided, okay, we're going to let him do his thing and trust his advice. And that was, I really appreciated that. Um, and they also, you know, we did the EGC that we did, they didn't just send one video and then say, okay, here's your dumb video, like go right. launch it. Right. Um, we did a lot of rounds of feedback where I said, okay, actually, can you try it, you know, like this instead and take out this word and things like that. They were very willing to iterate um, and spend the time to create the, the right creative and, um, and iterate on things. And, and that made a huge, huge difference. Um, not just their trust, but also that they, they devoted time into trying to make it work um, and develop landing pages and things like that. So that, that's been a really gratifying relationship. I mean, once you go from that low of a low to that, to <laughs> oh, this yeah, high of a yeah. high, like it's, it's an incredible, you know, that, I mean, it's now a phenomenal relationship um, you know, I, 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 I'm very grateful for their trust in that relationship. And, um, it's, I, I love using that example because of how low it got. Um, yeah, right, and, and right. that, that we really, we had to go through that, that panic mode and, um, and it just by trusting the process and, and doing a whole bunch of testing, we, we got to where we wanted to be. And it's now, um, an extremely successful campaign. That's such a good story. I mean, yeah, especially when you're on verge of cancellation. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's crazy. Totally. My God. So it, it felt um, like a diving catch, honestly. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> yeah. Give me the profile of that company. Were they B2B or were they like e-commerce? What were they? That's a consumer company, yeah. B2 uh, e-commerce. Okay. Uh, e e-commerce e actually with, with retail. It's it's really B2C. Yeah, they have a big retail presence. Um I only do e-commerce for them. Cool. Um, but they have a huge retail presence. Interesting, man. So let's dive into real quick, uh, quickly channels. So give me, give me your B2B top three paid channels that B2B companies should focus on as far as ROI is concerned. Yeah, that's, that's definitely easy. It's, it's what probably most people assume I'm going to say, which is um, Google, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, I would say actually usually in that order, um, which I think sometimes surprises people depending on, you know, what they yeah. expect, you know, right now um, uh, we're finding a lot of success on Facebook, which is awesome. Um, I would say I, I'm usually able to find success on Facebook though. It can be hit or miss. Um, sure. It's, it's, and it, it's generally a longer ramp up period because you're going out and finding people. Whereas yep. Google, you can just look at obvious keywords and um, there's also long tail keywords, which are, which can be really important. Um, but in a situation that a lot of, um, enterprise SaaS is in, or even, you know, mid, mid size plus, um, there's so much competition for some of these keywords that, um, testing anything is, is very slow and expensive and especially right. if it's low volume. Yep. So, um, Google is often high conversion rates, um, and low volume, uh, whereas Facebook can often be the opposite, low conversion rates high volume, right. if you can get it, the volume you can generally control, that conversion rate can be, can be really tough. And that's what takes a lot of, a lot of testing. Um, the reason I'm, I've left LinkedIn out so far, other than including it in that top three, is just because it is also very expensive to me. In those early days, it's kind of the worst of both worlds where it's expensive and low volume right. um, and, and low conversion rates. So it's like, you know, on day one, I like to avoid LinkedIn. It's really good 
once you've done a whole bunch of testing on Google and Facebook, you have a good idea of what works in terms of a funnel and a content offering and a creative strategy, apply that to LinkedIn, you're probably going to find success there. Um, it's just doing R&D on LinkedIn, to me, is usually not a good idea and is, nope. is a good way to burn through some cash. But um, once, you, once your ad strategy is a little bit more mature, going to LinkedIn is a great next step to add both uh, scale and efficiency. And I love, I love the list and I love the order you put them in because most, most SaaS companies, uh, depending on what stage they're in, the CEOs or like the, the CMOs will say, our audience is on LinkedIn. We should be on LinkedIn, yada, yada, yeah. yada. And oh, man. they're not wrong, but they're not necessarily taking into well, account how much it's going to cost you to get to the audience. Yeah, and let me just address that. I hear that one all the time. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Our, our audience is on LinkedIn. Yeah, okay, fair. Also, the entire planet is on Facebook. Let's <laughs> yeah, not forget exactly. that, right? right? Everyone uses Facebook or Instagram. Right. There's just, it's like, that's where your audience is. That's not where your audience is like posting as someone in that works for that company. Mm -hmm. That's perfectly fair and true, but that is where your audience is. Um, and, and if you think your audience is, is not on Facebook, then, you know, you're, I, I think, well, to put it bluntly, you're just wrong because everybody, everybody uses those, those, those platforms. Would you say that's the most misunderstood thing on the B2B side is that lead with LinkedIn? Yes, uh, there's, there's, uh, I think a bunch of, of misunderstood things, but that's certainly one of them. I think LinkedIn okay. is overestimated and, you know, I'm sure people are going to watch this and, and yeah. comment and say, we did LinkedIn as our first thing. And it was the most successful decision we ever made. And like, yeah, yeah I'm sure there's a lot of success stories out there. I'm not bashing LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I'm just saying, I don't think, I think for most companies in most situations, it's, it's, I would not recommend it as a starting point. Right. And I think that makes total sense. Like you said, optimize and test on Google and Facebook at a cheaper cost get your creative and your audience is correct and then kind of push it over to LinkedIn to, to reap the rewards of the optimization. I think right. that's, that's a really good point. So let's go on the other side, right? So pure plate e-commerce, what are your top three channels? Facebook, Google, Pinterest. Really? Pinterest is, well, I'll, I'll start with Pinterest first. Okay. Um, because it's probably the most surprising. Um, it's very hit or miss. Um, it really depends on your demographic. Pinterest skews um, middle-aged women okay. tend to be a little bit less on the on the coasts, um, and it's a, a long. It's it's generally more more aging, a longer sales cycle, even for e-com. So it's not for everyone. I've run lots of failed Pinterest campaigns and lots of extremely successful Pinterest campaigns. Mm. So it is fairly polar. But um, it's, it's often a very good um, place to start. Interesting. Uh, let's back up for a second, though. Facebook and Google really, like, though they should be the top four because, you know, they're the, they're, sure. they're the two biggest for a reason. Um, between Google Shopping alone is so good. Um, as long as you have a good product catalog that you're, you know, optimizing – 
and and you know devoting care to than than Google Shopping. Mm. You could you could not run any text ads and probably find success on Google Shopping alone. But adding text ads just to take up more real estate and and sometimes a lot of people just just like those text ads. They tend to do really well. Right. Um, that's really really good. Um, and Facebook the the instant gratification of Facebook is one of the many reasons I love it as a channel. Um, yeah that, um, you know, it's, you can really control the volume very easily. Um, and I love it because it's such a visual platform. So it's a, it's a place to tell your story. And that doesn't mean brand awareness campaigns. You should be telling your story in conversions campaigns, um, where the expectation is that people will purchase and have a uh, profitable return on ad spend. But that still, it allows you for more of that, whether it's EGC or um, a high-end brand video, you know, whatever, whatever is working, um, mm. there's a lot more of the emotional resonance feature, uh, an element that you, that then, then you get on, on Google. So that's why I really enjoy um, working on Facebook because of that creative element. It's not just words, it's, it's, it's you know, visuals and stories. And when you say Facebook, um, does that include Instagram and Facebook or just Facebook? Definitely includes Instagram. Okay. I, I always will include, you can select placements within the Facebook uh, sure. backend. I, I always include Instagram when I'm doing those with, with very, very, very few exceptions, none of which I can even think of right now. Um, the, um, and, and a good example, you know, Instagram stories as an ad placement is really taking off right now. Um, one of my one of my clients happens to be uh, one of the travel clients that actually is is has ads off right now. But before this hit, um, they were seeing two thirds of their conversions from Instagram stories, and wow. that's on that was on auto placements. Now wow. that that's it's it, that's a brand that skews feminine. Um, they're very visual, very um, very direct to consumer brand looking, um, and so it is the type of their customer is the type of uh, demographic that. I think people expect to be on Instagram stories, Correct. but I've never yeah. seen, I've never seen numbers like that. That, that is an outlier. Um, hmm. And that's at decent scale that the, the, the Instagram story row as was probably like a three or a four. Um, and, and it, that's difficult to achieve. And I, it supports a lot of what I'm saying. And, Oh, and their that strategy was, was pretty much entirely EGC and UGC. Really, wow. and so that combination of UGC EGC on Instagram Stories, which even within the Facebook universe, Instagram Stories is notably visual. It's more visual than than even you know other placements. Sure. Um, and more about storytelling. That really is is some proof of concept that that I think a lot of people are looking for. That you know, if, wow. if you have a message that resonates, um, especially from people that have given you money before. Um, it can work really, really well. Hmm. Really interesting stuff. So I was surprised by the Pinterest piece. So thanks for clarifying that. Um, that, that was really yeah. cool to hear. Um, and yeah. we've worked together on the B2B side, so I wasn't necessarily surprised by your list, but I think some people may be. Um, so that's, that's really cool yeah. as well to hear. Um, any difference on like, for example, just the, the mix of e-commerce and brick and mortar? So like a business that has both, any difference on the list or you think it's pretty much locked in? Um, I think Facebook has invested a lot in their offline conversions tool. Mm -hmm. So it could be an argument to prioritizing Facebook. Um, Google has one as well, but Facebook's is better. Um, 
and just to kind of define what that is, it basically means that you um, use some kind of data around who goes into your store, feed right. it back to Facebook, and they tell you who saw an ad to help, right. help you with attribution. There's really, there's at least two ways to do it. There might be some features that, um, that are newer that I haven't used, but there's at least two features. One is um, some kind of uh, manual upload, so a list-based way of doing it where you're, you, you get a bunch of, say you ask for emails um, when people purchase, right? right. You've, they've got their little square app, you put in your email, right? So you're collecting those. You can give those emails with their information back to Facebook as a long list, and nice. Facebook will tell you who, who saw an ad. You can also do it based on GPS. So there's a lot of, when I was at Social Fulcrum, um, Social Fulcrum works with BJ's Wholesale Club. Mm -hmm. And this, this is not confidential. There's lots of, they've done lots of case studies on it. Um, Social Fulcrum and BJ's, actually worked together as really the, the pioneers of this particular feature within Facebook, which is now um, like out of beta testing and you know, offered on a right. large scale, where they, BJ's has the advantage of having huge stores that are generally isolated. So if you go into a BJ's parking lot, you're not really there for anything else. Right, and true. You compare, you compare that to a shopping mall where that's not yeah. true. I, right. I could be at I could be at Gap, but I could my my visit could be attributed to the Untuck It store or whatever. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, so because of that, BJ's is able to use GPS data for uh, ad attribution. Hmm. So they could say this person oh, based crazy. on not yeah not based on their um their an email that we upload, but based on where their phone has been, um, we can tell whether that person saw an ad, and we assume if they if they went close to a BJ's. Uh, store, then um, they they probably saw an ad. And so, um, if you have either of those retail capabilities to take advantage of offline conversions, then uh, it could be a reason to invest more in Facebook than you otherwise might, because you're you're probably going to see a, a lot more conversions. Um, it's a little bit different for BJ's; they own their own stores. If you yep. are in third party. Um, retailers, then it, that gets pretty difficult, a and, and is, yeah. yeah, yeah, a little fuzzier. Um, and the, those those partners are, I mean, I'm I'm e-commerce direct to consumer at heart um, when it comes to the the B2C space. So for me, if I'm running a company, like I don't like the idea that people can um, buy something, buy my product on Amazon or from CVS, and I don't have their information. Um, right. I want to be able to develop a direct relationship with that person. So my argument is generally like invest in your own uh, owned channels, as as they say, yep. because um, that's going to be better for LTV and retention. It's not always an option, not always the smartest thing, but as a generalization, um, uh, that's I would recommend investing more in, in your direct-to-consumer channels. And I'll ask the stupid question for everybody that's listening. Um, how do they get the GPS coordinates? Is that because people have the Facebook app installed on their phone? Yes. Yes. I don't know. I don't know a ton about that, but that's basically the nature of it is, yeah, they had uh, a use my location. Facebook is allowed to use my location and, um, and that's about it. I, I think it's as simple as that. So as an ad guy, I'm going <laughs> to make you an ad guy right now. How does that make yep. you feel? Do you have Facebook on your phone? I do. Yeah. It right. makes me feel, I, I've accepted that this is the world we live in, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. you know, and, and really if you get way on the idealistic side of things, um, 
the, what people, what companies are trying to do with my information is provide value to me. You know, like this is sure. an optimistic standpoint. Absolutely. Um, but if, if you can accept the premise for a moment that the purpose of a business is to provide value where, where there was none or was less, um, that that's all I'm allowing when I, when I give my information to one of these companies, like I, I'm, I'm fairly free with my information to be totally honest. So, um, and I, I welcome getting retargeted and getting prospected by companies that I could be interested in because that's more like I can, I'm a, I'm a big boy. I can decide for myself whether or not I actually want to purchase. But the fact that a lot of my digital experience is really tailored to my, my preferences and my behaviors yeah. to me, that's, a benefit of using these platforms and not some like scary downside to, or, or like a scary price that I have to pay for being able to use the platform. I think it's, it's quite the contrary. And um, I think the ads I see are generally things I'm interested in. And yeah, most of the time I decide not to buy, but every once in a while I say, you know what, actually this seems valuable to my life and I'm going to go ahead and purchase it. That's great. I have one final question on the whole tracking thing. So this is going to maybe paint yeah. me as a crackpot conspiracy theorist, but Love it. I've had scenarios. I don't know. I, the answer to your question is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how it works, but go ahead and ask it. <laughs> I've had scenarios where I, I've never looked up a product online, but I've talked about it. And yep. it's, I'm wondering if there is like, do they have the ability to process language and then retarget based off of that? Okay. I knew, I knew that's what you were going to ask. And I, yeah. I genuinely don't know. They don't, they don't tell us that. They don't tell thing. you that. I figured not. Um, yeah. I'm pretty you, sure that's a thing, man. Yeah, I, I also am pretty sure it's a thing, but I have no insider knowledge to base sure. on. Um, I have no, no trade secrets supporting that. It's just, uh. I, as a user, have seen that as well. But um, as an advertiser, there's, no, there's certainly no audience that's like people that have said this word out loud. There's, there's yeah, nothing right. like that. <laughs> um, and, and Facebook would, would never admit to it, although I of think not. there's enough... There's enough anecdotal evidence that I, I think it's, it's not coincidental. I'll, I'll keep wearing my uh, tinfoil hat then. All right. So uh, lightning round, let's, let's finish up here. Uh, so right. what are your favorite marketing books or podcasts people should listen to or read? Favorite marketing book of all time is right in front of me. Not a marketing book specifically, but it's still my answer. Tipping Point, Malcolm Gladwell. Yes. Good one. Um, to me, just like really how I approach my, uh, approach a, a high level marketing campaign, how I'm finding people, how mm -hmm. I'm tailoring the message. Um, he gets right to the heart of that. Um, Ogilvy on advertising classic, um, you know, really gets to the creative side. Um, 10 day MBA. Steven oh, nice. Silberger. Is that a, I think something like that. Steven Sil. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think understanding as much as possible about business is always going to help marketing. And there's a whole marketing chapter in there. Yep. Um, but especially for me, it's one thing if you're just, if not just, I don't mean in a derogatory way, but if you are a, an in-house marketing manager at, um, at a, at a brand, sometimes it might matter less, but I think the more you know about what everybody else is doing, the more effective you can be at your job. Um, yeah. For me, me to be able to speak, finance language with a CFO um, and strategy language with a CEO, like that makes me a better marketer and makes me more equipped to, um, to deliver on expectations and to really get at the heart. Like when I get that, that panicked phone call in month two, Josh, we're freaking out. Like I don't, 
I'm not only looking at it like what, but our marketing campaign is smart. I'm like, okay, I can understand who reports to who and why this affects next month's projections and all those sorts of things, which are really, really important. So um, understanding like the core of, of business is, is, is I think so, so crucial. So um, 10 day MBA and for that same reason, um, uh, Harvard Business Review, just, just read it yep. every couple months. Same yeah, exact same. thing. I, I go straight to the, the, any marketing article, but um, I'm also looking for any high level strategy article, anything like that, that could even a tangential way apply to what I'm doing. I think um, just the whole idea of cross training is extremely important. Um, I've, I would say I've learned more about marketing from non-marketing books than from marketing books. Um, yeah. Ogilvy and advertising is, is a good one. Um, a couple of these like hacking growth is solid. Um, oh, two other really, really important ones, Let's hear which are also go into cross training. Um, they're very similar books. So you probably only need to read one, but one is called, um, if I understood you, would I have this look on my face? <laughs> By, which is by Alan Alda, of all people, the actor. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And the, uh, the other book, very similar, is called Yes And, which is by um, The Second City, uh, the, the improv yeah, the from, improv uh, from Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And what both books get at is um, they're, they're about communi communicating clearly, communicating complex ideas clearly. Hmm. Um, and both of them look at uh, improv as... Um, a model for how to communicate and empathize. Empathy mm. is at the core of good communication and marketing is all about communication. Love and it. so um, you, you need to be able to really understand not just the people in front of you, but your customers and um, your, you know, your buyers, your entire market, your demographic personas, whatever words you want to use, you need to be listening to them. You need to mirror them. Um, and if, if they give you any kind of feedback or if anybody gives you any kind of feedback, respond with yes. And, you know, don't say no, but that's, that's, that's the killer or, or even yes, but is really, really bad. Yes. And we can also build on it this way. And there's a million examples of it. Um, both books do a really good job of exploring this idea of how to communicate in a way that is productive and builds on, uh, the original statement. Um, and it can be a literal statement or a figurative statement. I mean, um, user behavior is, that's communication. It's nonverbal, but it's communication. If you see that um, people are not buying a certain product, um, yes, and we can do this thing about it. You know, that's, 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 people are telling you something by not buying that one thing, even though they're buying other things. So um, I, I would read at least one of those two books. If I had to choose, I'd probably say the Alan Alda book, but it's close. They're, they're both phenomenal. All right. Those are two really, really powerful concepts. And I want to unpack them because we're almost out of time. Yeah. But I just, I want to reiterate to the audience that those two things are so, so important. So I work for a feedback company and empathy is big, right? So 100% there with you on that. And the other, which, which is a great point too, that you have to understand the other elements of a business. So if I could tell any of the young marketers out there, that would be one of the biggest pieces of advice I would give them is understand things outside of marketing, understand how these things impact other departments of the business, understand what drives motivations in other departments of the business. That's how you, that's yep. how you climb the ladder. It's not, I'll never forget. I've talked to a couple of coworkers at previous jobs where 
the kind of the sentiment was like, this is my job. I'm going to do this and keep my head down. I don't really want to get involved over there. It's just like, that's fine, but you're not understanding the business as much as you should. Number one. And number two, you're missing opportunities to interact with other departments and grow. And that's, if I could attribute my career growth to one thing, it's like trying to cross the aisle and understanding the the motivations and the, the pains of these other departments and trying to help in any way I can as a marketer solve that and yep. make the business a better place to to work or make the business better in general and grow it faster uh, totally. that's that's such a good point man so thank you for bringing that up all right so yeah. we are almost on time josh chopak it's been amazing amazing talking to you is there any place people can find you why don't you just shout out some plugs right now oh yeah uh, i'm on linkedin josh chopak um or wgg consulting uh i've got my own linkedin and facebook pages for that so I'll be honest, I don't update them a ton. Um, uh, my website, wggconsulting.com. If you just want to learn more about uh, who I am and what I do, um, and you can shoot me an email, josh at wggconsulting.com. Josh, thanks again. And, uh, we'll talk soon. Ian, my man, thanks so much for having me. It's been awesome. Thanks, Josh.